Hey everyone, it's Jalian. The uprising for Black lives has disrupted the social and economic status quo through protests, highway shutdowns, and occupations. But it has also been an opportunity for activists and organizers to build power and engage people politically. But the pandemic, changes to the postal service, and the increasingly polarized political climate will impact the upcoming general election in major ways. At the beginning of July, we met a volunteer who was encouraging people to register to vote at a protest. I'm Molly Zeff, and I'm here because I believe, first of all, that protests are the first step to long-term systemic change, and we need major systemic change. And I'm also here because I'm registering voters, and this is a great place to find people to register. And I truly believe that everything that we're dealing with today is a result of a lot of the racist policies that have governed St. Louis for decades. I am worried about voter suppression because the historical evidence just shows us, even recently, we've seen it again and again and again. Even with the more recent efforts by Republicans to, because it is primarily Republicans, to cut down the number of polling places in areas like Louisville, which are a quarter black. That really disturbs me. And I think there's a reason that when Stacey Abrams lost her gubernatorial election, she, was it, uh, when Stacey Abrams lost her election in Atlanta, there was a reason that she immediately began to work on voter suppression because it was wild and crazy there with machines breaking and old, you know, old machines and everything. It's a racial equity issue because we're, a lot of the areas where we're seeing voter suppression happen are cities with large black populations. Another reason I'm concerned about voter suppression is because we imprison such a large number of people in this country. A huge percentage, a disproportionate percentage, are black males, and then we strip people of the right to vote. And I'm saying that, you know, knowing that I'm, a I'm someone with a cousin who spent time in prison, and he can't vote. He wouldn't vote for who I vote for, but I wish he could still vote. Today, almost everyone is already registered, and a few people are underage, and occasionally a couple of people just don't want to vote. But yesterday, when my colleagues who were also volunteering at Power to the Polls were doing the same thing at protests, they had 20 new registrations. So it varies day by day. Being registered to vote is just the first step to making one's voice heard in the upcoming general election. And it can be hard to figure out how to vote safely and securely during a pandemic. So in this episode, we hear from a state representative who helped to come up with new absentee and mail-in balloting guidelines, and two ministers who are part of multiracial and multi-faith coalitions that engage voters and increase voter turnout. From St. Louis Public Radio and PRX, this is we live here. How can voting be made safe and accessible during a pandemic? This was the question faced by Kevin Windham Jr., Democratic State Representative for Missouri's 85th District, which is majority black and includes over 20 municipalities in North St. Louis County. On entering the Missouri House, I was the youngest black man ever elected to the body and the first incoming freshman elected to Democratic leadership. 
where I serve as the vice chair. He served on the conference committee that considered a bill that changed absentee and mail-in balloting guidelines in Missouri because of the pandemic. Part of the process was us being uh, in conference committee at, until about three o'clock in the morning, the day before session let out, or actually the day that session ended. So of course, when you're up late and in, in Russian, if you will, to, to make some changes and, and make a better piece of legislation. Sometimes you just leave things out, whether they were purposeful or, or not as much. He explains that Democrats and Republicans came to the table with different priorities. Democrats wanted to loosen restrictions to expand access to voting, while Republicans wanted to protect the voting process to ensure it remained secure. My priority personally was just trying to make it more accessible for voters during a pandemic. So whether that be uh, using our current absentee process or doing things that aid in our that would aid in our absentee ballot process, like uh, drop boxes and, and making sure that remote notaries were uh, stood up in time for the election. Wyndham isn't so worried about election security because Missouri already has multiple measures to prevent fraud. It has what some would call a belt and suspenders approach to voting. The belt is having your ballot notarized and the suspenders would be uh, the Board of Elections actually checking your signature against what you signed when you, when you signed your voter registration. So, so we should be able to either take off that belt or loosen the suspenders, either one. But our, our process this time around was just to, uh, to double down and put it on another belt on top of our, our belt that we already had on. He's not happy with the compromises in the final bill, which he thinks overly tightens restrictions on voting at a time when he believes lawmakers should have done exactly the opposite. The state of Missouri has had a um, absentee balloting process for over 100 years now. And we just recently made a new process called a mail-in ballot. Um, for the, the pandemic the, that we are currently in. And the big difference is that um, a mail-in ballot applies to any and everyone. Uh, you can get a mail-in ballot no matter what, uh, but the mail-in ballot is more strict in that you have to have it notarized no matter what, and you also have to send it in the United States Postal Service. This change to mail-in balloting takes Missouri from being one of seven states that require an excuse to vote by mail to being one of a majority of states that offer a no-excuse vote-by-mail option. With the absentee ballot, we made a, a bit of a change to the absentee ballot, which I, I said previously has been around for over 100 years in the state of Missouri. But we, we made some changes to it to make it where uh, folks who are in the at-risk category uh, for succumbing to COVID-19, they would be able to get their uh, vote via absentee without having their ballot notarized. So uh, it takes out a little bit of the worry of having to come in contact with an, an additional person in a notary. Uh, but I, I think that we should have we should have went ahead and and uh, extended that to all Missourians. So those uh, those at-risk categories that I, I told you about earlier, which included uh, being over age 65, having asthma, uh, being immunocompromised, or uh, being over age 65, um, 
and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about a lot of those at-risk categories. Um, African-American folks are, are uh, at a disparate rate affected by those things. So uh, whether it be um, dying from COVID-19, getting COVID-19, or, or even being in one of these categories, uh, I, I, it was an, an especially weighty honor being on the conference committee. Uh, because I knew that uh, COVID-19 affected my community uh, at a disparate rate, uh, especially during a process that uh, that's coveted in my community like voting. But Wyndham thinks that having an absentee balloting option with excuse and no notary, alongside a vote-by-mail option without excuse and notary required, is confusing. And he's worried about the consequences of requiring that mail-in ballots be mailed without the option to submit them in person, especially given the major changes to USPS funding and processes made by the current administration. His advice for Missourians who want to vote by mail is to submit their ballot as soon as possible. And then especially if they're in uh, the, the county that I happen to represent, St. Louis County, we have some technology where you would actually be able to check and see if your ballot has been received by the Board of Elections. So it's a, 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 a process that puts your, your mind at ease a little bit. Uh, but for those, for some other uh, jurisdictions that may not uh, have technology that keeps them up to date, and, and they're especially worried about if a mail-in ballot will get in on time, then I, I, may, I may urge them to look at their options via absentee vote if uh, if that applies to them. Uh, so you can go into your board of elections a little bit early where there won't be as much of a line um, and you can, you can vote early via absentee. He's also mindful of the overlap between those who are most impacted by COVID-19 and those who are targeted by voter suppression. Common sense just tells me that uh, it disproportionately hurts uh, older folks, uh, folks that are in uh, socioeconomic classes uh, that may be considered lower, um, and, and folks that just generally don't have as much of a will to vote. Voter suppression can take many forms, from purging people from voter rolls, to moving or shutting down polling sites, to imposing new requirements at the last minute. And it can also take the form of photo voter ID laws, which in practice can disenfranchise African Americans and people of color, especially those who are older women who may not have an ID due to the cost and hassle of getting one, replacing one, or ensuring that it's up to date. So uh, when we have confusing uh, voter ID laws as opposed to photo voter ID laws uh, and things like that, uh, it, it can discourage someone from voting just by uh, having to go and then come back as opposed to someone who has um, a passport because they, uh, they're in a uh, what we consider a higher socioeconomic class and, and travel more frequently. Um, so I think there, there's multiple factors in, in disenfranchising folks. Uh, it's not always uh, just in the policy. Sometimes it's in the practice. Uh, but I think that it's extraordinarily important to vote, uh, especially uh, when when you are sometimes in the class of folks that or uh, encouraged not to vote uh, legislatively. Wyndham emphasizes that a welcoming experience at the polls is key to voter turnout. Uh, actually, just recently, I didn't have the best experience at the polls. Uh, uh, I had to have a conversation 
with a poll worker and, and uh, kind of ask them if they would be willing to be a little bit more friendly with folks. Uh, and, and even just within that, uh, thinking about if it was my first time voting uh, and I didn't have a, a particularly strong uh, reverence with voting, would I really want to come back next time? There are policy changes that can increase access to voting as well. Same day voter registration at the polls, automatic voter registration, uh, whether it be uh, ranked choice voting, um, a lot of these things just make folks uh, more engaged with the process and, and, and really able to, to, uh, to, to be a more active part of the process. Uh, even, uh, I think, proposals like uh, strengthening the right for folks to, who are jailed but not yet convicted uh, to, to be able to vote. Uh, I think it's a lot of policies out there that aid in folks voting. They just uh, don't necessarily always get uh, a lot of airtime or, or uh, a lot of time, especially in, in our legislation. He's been focusing on engaging and educating his peers politically through social media and helping them connect the dots between policies drafted at the Capitol and the issues that impact them every day. My grandmother bought a house in Hillsdale uh, in, in the late 60s, and it was a beautiful neighborhood. And eventually uh, the neighborhood uh, uh, kind of lost its luster. and uh, and here now, um, there's uh, some, some potholes in the streets and there's some, uh, some buildings that, uh, and some homes that, that uh, may be decaying. Uh, still still uh, beautiful people in the community. Uh, however, when you see uh, structural decay or when you, when you kind of, uh, over the course of a couple of decades, see the school district that was uh, once a notable school district in the region in Normandy uh, kind of struggle, or once you see uh, economic development jump from uh, one part of the county to the other or uh, home values drop and, and not a lot of response or help from the government, I think that aids in voter suppression quite a lot uh, because you got people that, that think that voting do doesn't matter for those reasons and that they don't see how voting does impact their life. Uh, so. Uh, then it comes around for a, a young person like myself to try to bring it back around and how uh, sometimes a, a friend of mine says, even when, if you don't do politics, politics will do you. And uh, trying to, to really bring that home to folks. So um, I think that, that one way to aid in uh, relieving voter suppression would be to, uh, to give folks something to vote for. When it comes to finding the motivation to press on through long debates about legislation late into the night in Jefferson City, Wyndham looks toward the memory of his great-grandmother. My great-grandmother, who just passed, uh, is pretty much my inspiration and, and pretty much my inspiration for, uh, for staying in politics, uh, more so than getting involved in politics. But uh, my grandmother uh, passed away last year at, uh, at 85 years old. And she uh, she rarely missed an election, and uh, her being an older person, if she was alive uh, during the COVID nineteen crisis, uh, it, I'm sure it would be um, something that's nerve wracking for her, uh, and something that's heart wrenching for me, uh, knowing that she would have to potentially risk her health in order to uh, to take part in, in her constitutional right. Um, that our ancestors have fought for. So it, uh, it, it, like I said, was an especially weighty honor. And, and 
I don't I didn't take it for granted at all. I, I don't think it was the bill that I would have drafted if I was all in a, all alone in a room by myself or with the wish list. Um, I don't think it was the bill that the county clerks association would have liked either. Uh, but I think I think it's a, a decent bill for Missouri, and it, it kind of shows where Missouri is. As Wyndham continues to represent his constituents at Missouri's capital. Organizers are on the ground, working to ensure voters are registered and engaged ahead of the November election and for the long haul. So up next, we hear from two ministers who are part of multiracial and multi-faith coalitions that identify the issues that matter to voters and help Black voters access the political process. Hey everyone, it's Lauren. We wanted to know how organizers are educating voters during this time. So we spoke to Reverend Christine Pennington Stansel, Voter Program Lead and Civic Engagement Coordinator with Missouri Faith Voices, and her husband, Pastor Clinton Stansel of Wayman African Methodist Episcopal Church, who works with her on voter engagement. Here's Reverend Christine explaining how they adapted voter engagement to the pandemic. We just um, finished our last voter engagement um, campaign where we were uh, working in a collaborative with many uh, other multi-faith, multi-racial, nonprofit, uh, nonpartisan organizations in St. Louis. And we did most of that work via Zoom. Um, that has been the, the, uh, the tool that has helped us. Um, we've done most of our work phone banking um, because door-to-door was obsolete during the pandemic. And here's Pastor Clinton discussing the impact of engaging voters by helping people meet their basic needs. We've had to tie uh, our vote engagement around COVID-19 activities, uh, such as COVID-19 testing, which we've done. Um, Also, uh, produce giveaways and food because of the uh, skyrocketing unemployment rate and the uh, poverty that has affected our community. So... Uh, we've tied basically voter engagement around many of the COVID activities that we were called in to do simply because of the pandemic and the situation we found ourselves in. Many say that the African-American community has found themselves in two pandemics, COVID-19 and systemic racism. And while all of this is affecting African-Americans at a disproportionate rate, we wanted to know how can it possibly affect the upcoming election? and what power voting truly holds for the everyday American. Black Lives Matter now is in the national conversation, and I think that will have an effect on the election um, as well, because I think you're going to see more uh, African Americans, especially more energized to now to go out and vote. Those same persons stayed home in 2016. Um, and And I think they're seeing the results of staying home. And so I think uh, now you will see more of them engaged in the voter process. And so you can ask people now, because many people thought they vote didn't count. And I think um, now there's a realization that your vote counts. And uh, when you don't vote, then the consequences, we see what they are. And a lot of those protesters are young African-American people who have, you know, have risen to the, the moment. And so they're seeing this live and in living color. And so they're really able not to, 
it's, it's no longer abstract. It's happening right where I can feel it. I can see it. Um, so black lives really do matter. And so I think that that energy is moving across the nation. And I think that I think we're fully aware uh, that it, this election is very consequential. It's more consequential than any election for people of color than it ever has been. The final step is to get out the vote and make sure you show up uh, because you know, the protest brings attention, but the voting is the power. Helping the youth to acknowledge that power is the mission behind Reverend Christine's Wake Up the Vote online group, which has been educating black youth about voting for five years. When you begin to um, bring people into a dialogue and conversation about things where they can express themselves, they feel more empowered and they feel more intellectual about the choices that they're making. And I think that's the most important thing. And I think once we're constantly sharing information about what we know about voting, what we know about uh, current events, what we know about what is trying to keep us from the ballot box, we become more, um, knowledgeable about the tools that the enemy is using and i keep saying the enemy because it's the enemy that it, that is that is voter suppression it's the enemy that continues to do these things and so we become more knowledgeable about their tricks we become more knowledgeable about how how they're working the system uh, we become more knowledgeable about how legislatures are working and i think that's what wake up the vote is about you know it's actually putting people involved in their own liberation to liberate themselves and i think it's it's been effective because i think people are talking with their families more people are talking with um connecting with um their uh, uh barbershop and uh, beauty shop and fraternities and sororities and the conversations are going on and on and on and the more craziness that comes out of a Washington DC the more heightened the conversation becomes and so I think we're, we're we're making great strides and I think people are really waking up to the knowledge that they're that they they have the power to make the difference. Pastor Clinton reminds us that the lack of information in black communities already puts us at a disadvantage before reaching the ballot box, which is why he has been focusing on educating young people. And, and we have to have those conversations with our young people. Everything started, you know, you grow through conversation and information. And um, getting, getting access to information at the, highest, well, at the highest level is probably has been the most detrimental to our community is we don't have access to information at the highest level. So when we began to get information and have and give our young people access to information on how things affect them in their normal everyday lives and also then began to have conversations on how that can change, then uh, power and growth begins to take place and power begins to uh, seep into their spirit because they really began to see that I do have power and I do have some authority and I'm just not a victim and I don't just have to stand hourly by anymore that I can participate in the process and change the process. But getting people to understand the importance of voting in primary elections and paying attention to their local government isn't the only battle. Pastor Clinton says the vision is keeping us from truly making a difference. And one of the other battles that we got to face is we have to understand that to get something done, we're going to have to come together as a community and work together as a community that we cannot fight divided. And one of the things I've seen in St. Louis is too many times it's a divided fight. Everybody has their own agenda. Uh, we're trying to make sure that especially people of color, that we come together and get a good agenda that's best for our people. And that way we're not competing and fighting against one another. And for Reverend Christine, the most important part of being an organizer is gaining the community's trust.
once they see that the wins that you're gaining are in their best interest, they're willing more so to listen to you in election times about what you're voicing that's important. And so we have a history now in Missouri Faith Voices are fighting for the marginalized, the disenfranchised, um, trying to get health care for the least of these. We have now a reputation of that. And I think it's so you can sit at certain tables and be respected and say, you know, we're fighting for this cause because these are the wins we've already had and we've done this on your behalf. And I think people are more uh, receptive to you at that point um, because there is a lot of distrust in the black community. Different organizations have let many of our black communities down at times. And so there's a lot of trust to be built up. And so that's what part of organizing is. It's not just actually just calling people and getting them to vote for something. It's building alliances with collaboratives, and it's also building alliances with faith-based organizations, definitely the Black church. Um, the Black church has to trust you for you to come in and speak to them. And so um, in our organizing groups, we, we, we have to build these, these relationships with faith-based organizations, with other uh, alliances that we're working with, so that when we sit at the table with them and we tell them, go back and tell your people this, they can trust that what we're saying is true. And then we can say, you know, this is what we built on. And so I think that's a very important part of organizing. And I think we're we're on our way to doing that. And I think right now with the wins that we have had, you know, we can, we've built a lot of that trust. And Reverend Christine suggests that confusion makes it harder for voters to trust the process, which is why they are finding ways to educate voters on how to fill out ballot forms. I think that's the purpose of doing it, is to suppress the vote. And so the onus becomes upon activists like my husband and I and groups that we work with and organizations that we work with to try to clear that chaos, to try to make it more clear. And so what we have been instituting probably possibly this week is to begin to create online Zoom training to fill out an absentee ballot, to train people about what is necessary, and that goes to our congregations. And so uh, at the African Methodist Episcopal Church, with my husband is the pastor of, it is a connectional church all throughout the United States and worldwide. And so we are now working in a collaborative with the AME Church to make sure that there is Zoom training for our parishioners and our members to make sure that you do know how to fill out an absentee ballot when your deadline is. Um, uh, to, to also to quell some of the chaos, to calm some of the fears. A lot of people, when there's a lot of confusion, they decide just to forget it and just to stay home. Historically, African Americans have always had to bear the brunt of voter suppression, and this election cycle is no different. Older African Americans are disproportionately affected by COVID-19, and now they have to choose between going to the booth or trusting the process and mailing in their ballots. You got to realize the voter suppression comes from the fact that we know and everyone knows that this virus uh, adversely affects our community and hits our community harder. And so there, there, there are people who are basing the assumption on because it hits the African-American community and the brown community and the Latino community harder that most of those people now are going to have to vote either absentee or by mail-in. And so that's what this depression is coming from. Uh, if, if it wasn't, if, if, if there was no virus, there would be no suppression of mail-in vote because many times in the African-American community, we don't do mail-in votes and absentee ballots at a higher number as, as, as our counterparts. But with COVID-19 affecting us so disproportionately, the assumption is that we will 
increase our mail-in and absentee ballots, which is true. And so they're trying to to suppress that. And so I think it's our it's it's dependent upon us to get the information out on how to do mail-in, how to do absentee, and why it is so important. And if you can't do it, show up and wait in line until you vote. While the new guidelines for mail-in and absentee balloting has caused confusion, the new USPS Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, has been under scrutiny for drastic cost-cutting measures that puts mail-in ballots at risk for not being counted in time. There's a, a, a lady, part of my congregation, who has a son that is, has some medical issues, and they decided in the uh, 2016 election not to vote him. And that was their decision. They didn't think it was going to matter uh, one way or the other. But with the post office now, she's seeing delays in his medication, which comes through the mail. And now I can go back to her and say, that's a direct result. You can, I can draw, you can draw a line between exactly. not you personally, but not all the people who didn't vote. Mm-hmm. And now your son not being able to get the medicine he needs on time. There's a direct correlation. There's a direct line to be drawn. And I think these lines that used to be fuzzy are becoming more clear. Making those fuzzy lines clear also means doing whatever is necessary to get people to the polls and finding ways to work around. We got to make sure that those votes get mailed in. And so if we have to go get people and, and rent buses to get them to the polls, then that's what we have to do. And I think we just have to be proactive because, yes, it's trickling down. Uh, yes, we're concerned about it. But, yes, we are strategizing every day to try to figure out workarounds. And, and, and that's okay. And, and what do you mean that's okay? As African-Americans, we've always had to work around. And and so we're used to having to work around just to just to just be a to part survive. of just to survive and be a part of the system. So this is nothing new for us. We we we've always been suppressed. We've always had to work around, figure out new strategies. And so we're just doing what we've always mm-hmm. done to make sure that we are represented and make sure that our voice is heard. Finding ways to work around does come at a cost. And so we asked Pastor Clinton and Reverend Christine. As organizers, what concerns have been brought up from voters and how can they be addressed? People are excited uh, because they want change. They know change is needed and necessary. They understand that democracy is on the line and when democracy falls, we will be the brunt of that more than anyone else. And so people, people get it. They get that democracy is on the line and, and there has to be a change. But where the fear comes in and the confusion comes in is how do I vote and how do I stay safe? Because uh, the voting population in our community, we vote in high numbers in the elderly population. And so how do I keep grandmama safe and make sure grandmama get out to vote? And But I think I, I, I see a determination that I haven't seen in a long time. And what I mean by that is that people are determined um, to vote if their life depends on it because people are coming to the realization that their life do depend on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about from COVID standpoint, but from democracy standpoint. So from both uh, 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 directions, our lives depend on this vote. This, uh, this vote is for our life, is for our livelihood. And so uh, I think when, when people are voting, like their life depend on it, then people are re- willing to take those risks to make sure that their vote is counted. Uh, we saw that 
in our local elections that we just had here, our local primaries, uh, the turnout was up tremendously, um, that people uh, showed up uh, and voted. And, you know, to the best of their ability, followed all the uh, guidelines of social distancing, wearing masks. But again, I think, I think there's a determination because people understand the urgency. The urgency and the need for a better system can weigh on the communities that are already hit the hardest. But the black community has always been resilient in the fight for racial equality, and these times are no different. Most people that I talk to are anxious because in our community, we're not only fighting a pandemic, we're fighting systemic racism at the same time. We're being killed during a pandemic and that's not happening to anyone else in the country um, black people are dying during a pandemic we just had another shooting in wisconsin a black man shot in the back during a pandemic and so there's an anxiousness um, there is a surrealness there is all wrapped up with an urgency that i have to make my voice heard i don't know how i'm going to do it I don't know whether I'm going to do it by absentee, mail-in ballot, or where I'm going to stand in line. But I'm anxious. I'm anxious because of what I see. It's, 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 it's like Michelle Obama said, I've got almost a low-grade low depression going on in our any of our communities. But we have always been a fighting race of people. We will do what's necessary to save ourselves in the midst of crisis and we are in a crisis in the black community we are in a crisis and so we are i believe as my husband said in august the the turnout the vote turnout was tremendous and we didn't expect it um and it was because people were willing to stand in line and say my voice matters and i have a say so in this because most of them are saying i'm just tired i'm tired Everything's at stake. And I think with those who fought before me um, for black suffrage, the right to vote, um, they moved around the obstacles. If you look throughout history, they kept fighting and they just continue to find other avenues and other alliances and other ways to win. Power can seize nothing without struggle, and the struggle continues. And so we're seeing black suffrage now just in a different way. Uh, but all, most of the strides that we 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 gain and have overcome have come through increased voting, increased turnout, and that's the message that we have to. You, you don't get you know if 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 blacks don't show up to a poll, you don't get a, a Barack Obama, you don't get a Kamala Harris on a ticket, you don't. And so all of the strides that we've made have come through voting, and voting is the equalizer. And so hmm. I, I think that we are we are we are. Even though, as, as, as Reverend Chris said, we are, we are lamenting because we're being chased by two pandemics, the COVID-19 and systematic racism, but, and, 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 and those pandemics will overtake you. They're going to overtake you unless you make it to the poll. And, that, and that's generally my message to people, that you're being chased and you mm -hmm. cannot outrun them forever. 
they will overtake you eventually unless you make it to the polls. That That's your safety to pull that lever and, and, and to vote and to have your vote. That's where the change is going to happen. If not, the pandemic is going to continue, systematic racism is going to continue, and it's going to hit your house, your home, your child uh, sooner or later. And so we got to make it to the polls because that's the only way we're going to put an end to these uh, double pandemics that we're we're fighting. Reverend Christine and Pastor Clinton see the power of protest and voting as going hand in hand. And when faced with questions about the effectiveness of protests, he turns to the wisdom of Dr. King and the legacy of people like the late Representative John Lewis. Protest is simply the voice of the oppressed. And if, and protest, when you understand that protest mm -hmm. brings attention and many mm -hmm. things would have never got done um, if it wasn't for protest. The, the, the Voting Rights Act, um, the voting rights right got done because of Bloody Sunday. Let's, let's be real. You know, we're teaching and showing people from a biblical perspective and from a his, historical perspective that you got to pray with your feet. Yes, I am a praying man, but the problem the problem I find with many people is what do you do after you pray? Prayer, prayer gives you power. Mm -hmm. And once I have the power, now I have the authority to go out and make change. As my hero said, we have to learn to make good trouble. Because at the end of the day, if we don't bring light to a situation, uh, uh, evil, and, 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 I, and I can't find a better word, evil triumphs and prospers in darkness. Um, and, and discrimination, racism, mm. voter suppression, those are evils of our society. And, 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 and they grow in darkness. And, and, and the only way you eliminate them is bring light. And the way you bring light many times to a situation or to a circumstance, that's what protest is. Protest is really just shining a light on the situation. Now we see the situation and we can demand the change and we can vote for the change that's in our best interest. And my motto is always that, you know, if, if you kill our kids, we will kill your economy. Yeah. And, 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 and I mean that when I say that over and over, if you don't stop killing our kids, we won't stop destroying your economy yes, right. and we destroy it. And, and so protesting with the purpose and making sure that we're protesting strategically at the right places and affecting the economy because many of these people, let's be realistic, they only understand dollar signs. Yes, right. And so when you're protesting in front of their businesses and their businesses can't, can't do businesses and the business owners began to call the leaders, that's when change began to take place. And so protesting does have a purpose. Since the Stancils are putting in countless hours of organizing to engage folks to vote and seeing the effects of the uprising, we asked, what is carrying and motivating them through this time? I think motivating me in this work is, um, I think, first of all, first and foremost, it's a calling. I mean, I, I think I have a mandate as a clergy person, as a person of faith, I have a mandate to make sure that there's equality to make sure that there's equity to make sure that the least, the lost, and the left out have a voice. I have a mandate. Secondly, uh, and, and to me, it's just as important as the mandate that I have from God is that I have four black sons. Or we have four black sons and who are out there every day being chased by multiple pandemics, uh, COVID-19 and systematic racism. So just for my children, I have to fight this battle each and every day. So I think getting up, understanding that you, first of all, have a mandate from God based on your calling. Secondly, that you have four black sons. Um, I, I, you have to fight this, this, this battle. Um, it, it's not a choice. I think it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's more than, it's, it's not something you do, it's who you are.
been doing this since I was 14 years old. And I think I just, it breaks my heart to see people lose sight of the power that they have and lose sight of the fact that so many have fought before them for them to have this power. And it just breaks my heart when they don't use it to its full maximum capacity. And that's not just voting. That's just showing up at the, the school board, finding out who's gonna be the superintendent of your schools, finding out who's gonna be uh, your mayor. It's, it's just not the vote there politically, but it's vote on a lot of things in your community. Um, what's going on with your children? Who, who, who's, who's in charge of sanitation? You know, just the small things and empowering people to understand that every, all of that matters, who the prosecutor is. And then my last thing is my mom. My mom instilled in me when I was old enough to able to listen, to sit up in the chair, listen while she was pressing my hair with a hot comb, how important it was to be politically engaged and how important my vote was. She took me to meetings where people were talking about voting. It, I became saturated with it. And um, many of my sisters call me her mini me, uh, your, your mom, her, her mini me because my mom was, um, she was from the South. Um, she saw so much that black people had fought for and she wanted us to have so much more. And I was the only one that latched onto that. And I think it's in my DNA. So I wake up every morning thinking about a way to empower people around me so that they can be the best they can be and that this world can be one that they can pass on to their grandchildren and children and the, and the next generation. And I think that's what I fight for most. I have seven grandchildren too. And I think I'm fighting for their right to live without dying, walking down the street. I'm fighting for their right to, um, to, to vote without um, uh, intimidation, uh, to, to, to actually um, be a man in this country and be respected and, and no matter where you are. And so I'm, I'm fighting for the next generation. I'm fighting, I always tell people, I'm fighting for what's mine. As an American citizen, I have a right. I have an absolute right to economic equality. I have a right to racial equality. I have a right to these things. And um, so every day I'm getting up fighting for what's mine, I'm, for what I'm owed. Uh, just for being an American citizen, for being a person in America. And, and even though the color of my skin may be my crime, I have a right to certain fundamental things, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I have a right to that. And I won't settle for anything less. This show is produced by me, Lauren Brown, and lead producer, Jollyann Yang. As a reminder, the last day to register to vote in Missouri for the November 3rd general election is October 7th, a date that some suggest for requesting your absentee or mail-in ballot. The final deadline for requesting an absentee ballot and submitting a mail-in ballot in Missouri is October 21st at 5 p.m. To request an absentee ballot in Missouri, visit movote.org. Missouri state law requires absentee ballots to be notarized for free and notaries can be found at most financial institutions. For an updated list of notaries, visit sos.mo.gov backslash elections backslash mail-in notary or call the Missouri Secretary of State's office at 800-669-8683.
To learn more about your voting options, voter registration status, or how to become a poll worker, visit vote411.org. From St. Louis Public Radio and PRX, this is We Live Here. Support for this podcast comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. 